Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Avery After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Avery Ross. This is a very special week. The podcast just hit 1 million listens, which is so amazing. I want to say thank you to all who tune in every week. I'm so happy to be a part of your day, and this is just the beginning. I have so much more coming your way. Mysteries, cases, hauntings, you name it. I do everything myself on Avery After Dark, from the writing to the editing, so it always means so much that you enjoy the show. This episode, I got a little bit of everything for you. Four different stories, one episode. First up, a chilling Halloween disappearance that has baffled investigators for over 20 years. Second up, a mysterious fire, a missing daughter, and a remarkable case of mother's intuition. And after that, we're talking about the haunting of the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. Lastly, the ghosts of the beautiful Banff Springs Hotel in Canada. A little bit of everything coming up today. And for all of you who enjoy watching podcasts, click the link in the show notes and it will take you to the Avery After Dark YouTube channel. You'll find all the episodes there. Subscribe and enjoy. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's first story. It's one of the most baffling Halloween mysteries to date. Cindy Song, a bright, vivacious student at Penn State, went out with her friends on Halloween night in 2001 and in the early morning hours, vanished without a trace. This Halloween marks 22 years since she disappeared. What happened to Cindy Song that Halloween night? Cindy Song grew up in South Korea. In 1995, she moved to Virginia to live with her aunt and uncle and to attend high school. Friends and family said she was enjoying every moment of her life in America. She was accepted to Penn State University and was working on an art major there. According to those closest to her, Cindy was independent, hardworking, and responsible. She got good grades, held down two jobs, but friends also said Cindy had a fun, spontaneous side as well. She was very social and made a lot of friends at college. In 2001, Cindy was 21 and was just a few months into her junior year at Penn. That year, Halloween fell on a Wednesday. And when a holiday falls on a weekday, it is a great excuse to head out and have some fun. Cindy made plans with her friends Stacy and Lisa to dress up and hit the town that night. And Cindy was ready to celebrate. Cindy got dressed up for Halloween in a cute bunny costume, ears and a tail included. The group of girls attended a party at a bar on West College Avenue until about 2 a.m., Afterwards, they stopped at a friend's house for a few hours, and then Cindy's friend Stacy drove her back to her apartment around 4 a.m. Stacy waved goodbye to Cindy as she walked up towards her building, and Stacy drove off. Stacy said she didn't see Cindy enter her apartment, but assumed she made her way inside. This was the last time anyone saw Cindy's song. 
In those early morning hours of November 1st, something happened. The next day, Stacy reported Cindy missing, telling police that it was strange to not hear from her for long periods. And after Cindy failed to show up for a shift at a restaurant she was working at in town, friends and family were growing concerned. Police investigated Cindy's apartment in the days following her disappearance and determined that she had indeed entered the apartment after Stacy dropped her off as several of her personal items were found inside, including her fake eyelashes she had worn that night, a part of her Halloween costume, were found on the counter. So Cindy must have come in and taken those off. Her backpack was also found inside, which she had been carrying earlier. And in this bag was her cell phone, which friends noted was strange as Cindy never went anywhere without it. Analysis of her phone found that she had not made or received any calls after she was dropped off by Stacy. Her apartment showed no signs of a struggle, and investigators found that her bunny costume was nowhere to be found. So wherever Cindy was, she was wearing the same outfit she had on that night. Police found that her wallet and purse were also missing, and her apartment was locked from the outside. Investigators speak with Cindy's friends, and they say she did have a habit of running down the street to the local 24-hour grocery store to pick up something to eat late at night. So investigators wondered if she left the apartment after arriving home that night and on her way to the store, something terrible happened. They checked surveillance cameras of the store Cindy was known to go to and found there was no footage of Cindy there. They checked Cindy's credit cards and email. There was no activity. Police conducted a widespread search of a wooded area near Penn State, many students joining in on the search. But there was no sign of Cindy Song anywhere. How did she vanish without a trace? Some thought that Cindy could have run away, but most feel this is highly unlikely. Friends and family said that Cindy wouldn't do that, and by all accounts, she was enjoying her life at college. In that Halloween evening, her friend said she was upbeat and happy. She even had upcoming plans to attend a Britney Spears concert in December. And investigators never believed that Cindy ran away. Then, a few days after Cindy disappeared, police thought they may have a lead. A woman matching Cindy's description was seen crying and yelling for help in Philadelphia's Chinatown district, nearly 200 miles from Cindy's apartment. Later, the eyewitness came forward with a description of the alleged abductor. Police are wondering, could this be Cindy? A sketch artist created a composite drawing of a man with olive to light brown complexion and medium length hair. This individual wasn't labeled as a suspect, but police stated they would like to speak with him. But this lead dried up, and in years since, investigators said they don't believe that this woman calling for help was Cindy. Over the next few months, there were several mysterious reported sightings, but these leads led nowhere as well. In 2003, police connected Cindy's disappearance to a bank robber and suspected serial killer named Hugo Selinski. A co-defendant of his told police that he and an accomplice had abducted and killed a woman from State College that matched Cindy's description. Police investigated this, but found this to be an unreliable lead, with no direct evidence tying Selinski to Cindy's disappearance. So, back to square one. Officially, Cindy's case remains an open, unsolved missing person investigation. And this Halloween marks 22 years since she vanished. There are reportedly 21 binders dedicated to her case. But sadly, in those files, there is no hard evidence of what happened to Cindy after Stacy dropped her off at her apartment building that evening. 
Given the evidence, the two most plausible theories here are either A, Cindy left her apartment with someone she knew that night and they harmed her, or B, she left willingly to go to that 24-hour supermarket and was abducted there or on the way there. Cindy's parents have been dedicated to finding their daughter, saying that their family has been heartbroken over the loss of Cindy. Anyone with any information on Cindy's disappearance is urged to call 814-237-1172. Cindy, like many college students, kept a personal website where she posted pictures of her life in her poetry. Cindy really took advantage of this new age of computers. Investigators found that Cindy composed a poem six days before she disappeared entitled Under Construction. The poem reads, Sad but happy, crying but laughing, ugly but pretty, hungry but full, hurt but fine, weak but strong, I pretend, and this is me. 10-25-2001 I pray and hope for justice for Cindy and her family. These unsolved disappearances always hit super hard, don't they? If there are any unsolved cases, disappearances that have really stuck with you, and you'd like to see covered on the podcast, please let me know in the comments. I really want to cover these as much as I can, because the more these stories get talked about, covered, kept in the spotlight, the more likely it is that they will be solved. We'll be right back. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You're back with Avery After Dark. Now, today's second story. Have you ever known something with certainty, but not been able to explain how you know it? That's intuition. And we all have it. Our intuition can be used as a trusted guide through life. And for a woman named Luz Cuevas, her intuition guided her on an unbelievable path for truth and justice. On December 15th, 1997, Luz Cuevas was at home with her three children in North Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, when a fire suddenly broke out, engulfing the home in flames. Luz's oldest children made it out of the house to safety, but when Luz ran into her baby, Delimar Vera's room, who was thought to be sleeping in the upstairs front bedroom, Luz found that she was gone. Delimar wasn't in her crib. Luz searched frantically for her daughter, but eventually the heat and smoke overcame her and Luz was forced to flee the home. Authorities arrived to the scene as firefighters put out the fire, and they too searched the home but found no sign of Delimar anywhere and ultimately determined that she was lost in the fire. Investigators theorized that the fire came from an overheated extension cord, which was attached to a space heater the family had in the home. Luz was heartbroken and adding to the grief, she never believed that her daughter truly died in the fire. It didn't matter what investigators said. It didn't matter what the police report stated. She didn't believe it. But six years passed, and in 2004, on one January day, Luce was invited to a birthday party for a friend's daughter. She accepted the invitation, not knowing that this decision would change everything. She got to the house, and it was a typical kid's birthday party. 
Balloons, cake, children running around everywhere. But almost instantly, Luce noticed that a young girl at the party looked achingly familiar. This girl looked remarkably like Luce and her other children. She felt this instinctive pull to her. She knew she had to act quickly, and she knew what she needed to do. Her instinct within guiding her every move. Luce approached the young girl and told her that she had gum in her hair and offered to help her out. In these few moments, she was able to pluck a few strands from the girl's head. She had a feeling that this girl was her daughter, Deli Marvera, and she hoped a DNA test would prove her right. Luce left the party and instantly began contacting officials who could help, and a state legislator helped put her in touch with the police. They, in turn, launched a full investigation and had DNA tests performed. And when the results came back, they confirmed that Luz's instinct was right. That six-year-old girl at the party was her daughter. That was Deli Marvera. Isn't that mind-blowing? When Luz got the news, she was reportedly overwhelmed with joy, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then, the truth about that mysterious fire came to light. After years, everything was becoming clear. At the center of all of this was one person. Just one day before the fire, Luce had met a woman named Carolyn Correa. Carolyn was a distant friend of a cousin of Delimar's father. Luce and Delimar's dad had since separated, but Luce and Carolyn were familiar with each other and became acquainted, both living in the same town. Luce introduced Carolyn to her children, including her newborn baby, Delimar Vera. On December 15, 1997, Carolyn returned to Luz's house claiming she had left her bag upstairs, and shortly after she left that evening was when the fire started. Carolyn had reportedly given birth to her own child prior to meeting Luz, but had lost the child during birth. So within the span of meeting with Luz and seeing baby Deli Marvera, she devised a plan to abduct her and set a fire to cover her tracks. Truly evil. And when investigators went to confront Carolyn about the DNA results, they found that she had fled, leaving behind her three children. She became a fugitive with multiple arrest warrants, including arson, kidnapping, and concealing whereabouts of a child. Investigators learned after Carolyn abducted Deli Marvera from the house, she raised her for six years as her own daughter and called her Aaliyah. And even more shocking was how many people Carolyn was able to trick. She had three other children who wholeheartedly believed that Aaliyah was indeed their sibling. And Carolyn even had a boyfriend who thought of Aaliyah as their own daughter. Carolyn was ultimately sentenced to 30 years in prison and Deli Marvera was reunited with her mom, dad, and siblings, a family she never knew she had. Police also looked into how investigators at the time were able to close the case so quickly, telling Luce that Deli Marvera was lost in the fire without sufficient evidence. Officials stated that given the scene, they never ever expected arson or kidnapping in this case, so they had no reason to believe there was anything more to it than a tragic accidental fire. But there was much more to it. So much more. And they also said they did find bone fragments in the rubble, but these bone fragments ended up being animal, not human. Luce never ever believed that her daughter was truly gone. All that time, Luce knew that her daughter was still alive and she herself brought her home. That is powerful. Mothers are highly intuitive. This is a fact that even doctors and scientists acknowledge. 
In a recent survey, 96% of mothers admitted that they have had intuitions that turned out to be right about their children's welfare. There have been countless documented cases of mothers intuitively knowing that their children are in trouble, even if they're far away. Quite often, moms will feel a strong urge to reach out to their child and follow the instinct to find that their child was in trouble. Mother's intuition has proved to be a real thing many times, but it remains a mystery as to how it works. I look at it as a sixth sense in a way, having a real supernatural element. But what about you? For all you mothers out there, have you ever felt mother's intuition kicking in, only to find out that you were right? Or have you witnessed your own mom's intuitions playing out in your day-to-day -day life? I know my mom is very intuitive, so much so that if she feels a certain way about a situation or a person, I listen and trust her. Our next story, we're getting spooky. We're heading down south to one of the most iconic spots in America. One of the most beautiful and one of the most haunted. The Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina looks like something out of a fairy tale. The Gilded Age-style mansion is majestic. It has stunning architecture and perfectly manicured grounds. But in recent years, it's become known for something else. It's ghosts. The original owners of the estate, George Vanderbilt and his wife Edith, reportedly make frequent surprise visits to the Biltmore, even though they passed away decades ago. Their spirits not quite ready to say goodbye to their beloved estate. And sightings of their ghosts may be proof that although you may not be able to take your lavish lifestyle with you when you pass on, maybe you don't have to leave it all behind either. Spooky. The Biltmore Estate was built for one of America's most prominent families and sits on 8,000 acres of land. The sprawling mansion was constructed from 1889 to 1895 as the private residence of George Washington Vanderbilt II, the grandson of railroad tycoon Cornelius Vanderbilt. George had been making frequent trips to Asheville to visit his mother who had lived there. And each time he visited, he fell more in love with the city and the scenery surrounding it. So much so that he decided that this was the place he wanted to construct his summer home. Yeah, this is a summer home. Must be nice. George Vanderbilt wanted something that he could call his summer getaway home. And thus the idea for the Biltmore Estate was conceived. When you're imagining a summer house, you may think, hey, something with a little yard might be nice. Well, George thought much bigger. He purchased over 100,000 acres and called in the builders and spent much of his inheritance constructing the estate, including building a private railway line to bring his family and guests to the grounds, which were then far, far outside the bounds of Asheville. Construction lasted six years, and the Biltmore took 1,000 workers to complete. But when it was finished, George called it his little mountain escape. And to kick things off, George and Edith hosted a grand Christmas Eve party to get it started. The 250-room Gilded Age Mansion was breathtaking. The French Chateau-style estate was built to replicate the working estates in Europe. George lived there with his wife Edith and their only child Cornelia. And folks in North Carolina really loved and praised the family for the business and work they brought to Asheville. And throughout its years, the Biltmore hosted countless prominent figures, authors, ambassadors, and U.S. presidents. It was really George's happy place. But in 1914, he died, 
from complications from an emergency appendectomy in Washington, D.C. at the age of 51. And before he passed, he requested that his wife, Edith, make sure that the Biltmore estate was not touched. And so it wasn't. It went on to be used as a private residence until the Depression hit. And then things changed. To keep the estate afloat, George and Edith's daughter, Cornelia, opened it to the public as a tourist attraction. The Biltmore Estate is the largest privately owned home in the United States and is still owned by Vanderbilt descendants and is open to the public. Today, it remains a major tourist attraction with 1.4 million visitors every year. And over time, stories of the estate being haunted began to circulate. Staff members and visitors alike all having chilling experiences inside. Many have said they've been walking the hallways and will hear a voice whispering the name George repeatedly. Visitors and employees of the Biltmore will whip around to find there's no one there. It's believed that the spirit of Edith Vanderbilt herself is still wandering the halls and is searching for her husband, George, her one true love. During her lifetime, she was known to personally journey through the estate to remind her husband that it was time for dinner or they had guests arriving for a party. Another frequent occurrence are the ghost parties. At night, employees that are working the grounds will suddenly hear a full-blown party coming from the Grand Hall. Sounds of laughter, glasses clinking, chattering. Many have said they've even heard old-time music playing. Problem is, there's no one there. Employees will make their way through the Biltmore following these cheerful sounds to find exactly what they thought, an empty room with not a soul in sight. Hauntings like this always make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. You know, so often you hear of these hauntings where the ghosts are lost, in despair, big sad energy, but these people at the Biltmore are having a good time. They're like, look, Dead or alive, we're going to turn up. And I really respect that. I think overall to know that they are on the other side, enjoying themselves, oh, it just makes you happy, right? Maybe they could invite some of these super sad ghosts to join their party. Some of these poor sad spirits maybe need a night at the Biltmore. There are frequent reports of hearing splashing water coming from the long empty pool. And the estate staircase is a common spot for ghostly activity. Many believe that staircases can be vortexes for spirits. And many have reported seeing apparitions there and also feeling a sense of uneasiness, as if they're being watched and followed. Many report hearing the sounds of footsteps coming from empty rooms, strange smells, a lot of cold spots. To add to the strange factor, there are a number of headless mannequins that are stored in one of the 200 plus rooms in the estate. Imagine getting lost in the Biltmore and accidentally entering that room late one night. <laughs> and the mannequins are dressed in full period clothing dating back to the early 20th century. But really, the star of the show at the Biltmore is George Vanderbilt himself because his spirit still roams the halls and is seen all over the place, but is most frequently spotted in one room. If you want to catch a glimpse of George's ghost, head for his library. During his lifetime, George was especially proud of his library and spent a lot of time in there. It was George's habit to retreat to his library when he saw a storm approaching. And in years since, his ghost has been seen numerous times in his beloved library. 
and he seems to have stuck to his routine, even on the other side. As workers and visitors are said to see a shadowy figure in the library, usually when the skies are darkening and a storm's approaching. The Biltmore is really one of our most beautiful remaining connections to history. I visited with my mom and my grandma when I was much younger, but I'm really itching to head back down for a visit. Have you ever been to the Biltmore Estate? And if you have, did you sense anything spooky? Let me know in the comments. I would love to hear your experiences. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. For our last story, we're heading up north to Canada. Terrifying stories of a sealed-up forbidden room, a ghost bride, and a nice, cheerful, and helpful spirit named Sam the Bellman, who many call the good ghost. You gotta love that. Since its grand debut over a century ago, guests and staff alike say that the Fairmont Bamp Springs Hotel is filled to the brim with unique spirits. The haunted tales that come out of this hotel will send a chill up your spine. The Fairmont Bamp Springs, formerly and commonly known as the Bamp Springs Hotel, is a historic hotel in Banff, Alberta, Canada. The hotel itself sits at an altitude of over 4,000 feet and overlooks a valley towards Mount Rundle. The hotel opened in 1888 by the Canadian Pacific Railway and was intended to be one of Canada's earliest Grand Railway hotels. The five-story building was constructed to accommodate 280 guests, and as the hotel and demand grew, the original hotel became the North Wing. But this was destroyed by a fire in 1926. As the hotel stands today, it's made up of two main buildings, an 11-story tower, and the main block of the hotel. Inside, the hotel features gorgeous oak beams, panelings, animal carvings, and stunning stained glass work. It now offers 757 guest rooms and suites throughout the property. It has event spaces and a terrace garden. This place is a real beauty, that's for sure. Beautiful and historic. Throughout its years, the hotel has seen countless guests and staff come and go. But some apparently stuck around. This hotel is frequently regarded as one of the most haunted in the world. One of the most famous spirits in the hotel, so much so that she's even featured on her own stamp and coin, is the Ghost Bride. Her story dates back to the late 1920s, and per reports, on a young couple's wedding day, the bride, decked out in her beautiful wedding gown, descended down one of the hotel's marble staircases. Some reports say that something startled her, causing her to slip and fall. Others say she caught her heel in the hem of her dress. And some say her dress actually brushed up against a candle's flame along the staircase. But whatever happened that day resulted in this bride dying on that staircase, never getting to walk down the aisle. Since then, hotel staff and guests have watched as a veiled figure moves up and down that stairwell. And others have seen a figure in a wedding dress dancing in the ballroom upstairs. Sadly, it appears that her spirit is pining for that first dance with her husband that she never had. Now, I'm not an overly emotional person, but that one gets me so sad, right? Along with the ghost bride, while they'd rather not mention certain numbers, there are specific rooms at the hotel that staff say are haunted. And every haunted hotel needs the forbidden creepy room. Here, it's room 873, also known as the missing room. Story goes, decades ago, 
A family was murdered in room 873, and after a long investigation, the room was renovated and once again opened to be booked out by guests. But then, reports of paranormal activity began overwhelming the front desk. Guests told staff that they would be asleep in the room only to be woken up to the sounds of hollow screams. One guest said he woke up to see bloody handprints on the mirrors inside the room. Ooh, that's where you would lose me. (laughs) The bloody handprints. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. But by the time he ran and got help and staff got to the room to investigate, the prints disappeared. Eventually it got so bad in efforts to cover up the murders and ghostly activity, it was rumored that they decided the room would be sealed off forever. The door was removed and the opening was completely covered with drywall flush to match the rest of the hallway, so that no one would ever know. And more importantly, no guests would ever fall victims to the terrors of room 873 ever again. Now, supposedly, if you ask hotel employees about this room, they are forbidden to speak about it and give these really strange rehearsed scripted answers. Creepy, but it's quite clear there was a room there and that it was covered up. As there's rooms ending in 73 on every other floor, the baseboard is cut where the doorway would have been, and supposedly when you knock along the walls, you'll notice they are made of a thick plaster. But as you knock down the hall on the eighth floor, it suddenly changes to a hollow sound right below the light, where the door to room 873 would have existed. And this hollow sound continues for the length of a standard doorway. Now, when I covered this hotel on TikTok last year, I got a lot of naysayers in my comments getting after me, saying that room was actually closed up for different unghostly reasons, specifically to turn room 875 into a suite. But I think there's more to it, don't you think? At the hotel, there's one spirit in particular that staff and visitors alike share a certain fondness of, and that is Sam the Bellman aka The Good Ghost. I gotta say, this is one of my favorite ghost stories of all time. When discussing legendary haunted hotels, few spirits are as endearing and mysterious as Sam the Bellman, aka Sam McCauley. Sam McCauley was a Scottish immigrant who worked as a bellman at the Banff Springs Hotel. He was a real person. In his days working there, he served as the hotel's lead bellhop throughout the mid 20th century, welcoming guests for years. He retired in 1975 and passed away just a few years later in 1978. But shortly after his death, guests and staff began reporting really mysterious ghostly encounters in the hotel and believe Sam's ghost is behind these supernatural events. And these reports have persisted for decades, making him a lasting part of the hotel's legacy. Long after he passed, Sam continues to make his presence known in the hotel. Those who come across Sam's spirit say that his presence is a good one. He is reportedly incredibly helpful and kind, with some guests saying that his ghost actually assisted them during their stay. Sam seemed to take his oath of being dedicated to customer service to the afterlife. What makes his story so compelling is some of the encounters with Sam's spirit from employees and guests alike. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, these stories are pretty chilling. One famous encounter involved two women who called up to the front desk for service after they got to their room and found that their key would not work. The ladies were told someone would be sent right up to help, but five minutes turned to 10 and the bellhop was taking a bit to get there. Then suddenly, an older hotel employee seemingly appeared out of nowhere. 
He approached their door and proceeded to unlock it for the women. The women said thank you, and the nice older gentleman left. By the time the bellman got up to their room, he was surprised to find the women inside. He asked them how they got in, with their key not working, and they told him the older bellman in the plaid jacket helped them. This bellman was confused. No one was employed at that time that matched that description, and after discussing it, staff realized that this individual matched Sam's description to a T, and everyone agreed this was his ghost, stepping in to help these guests from beyond the grave. Other stories involve guests seeing Sam's ghost haunting his old office, which is currently a guest room. Sam's spirit is also very commonly seen roaming the sixth and seventh floors of the hotel. Another really compelling aspect of Sam's ghost is he's always usually seen in his 1960s or 1970s Bellman uniform, and he has appeared both transparent and corporal in different accounts. But his spirit is always doing helpful things for guests and staff, and is considered the good ghost. He reportedly has a really helpful disposition, often stepping in and assisting guests with locked doors and lights. But Sam only appears to some people and not others. And when interacting with guests, he often vanishes when directly acknowledged, or guests try to turn around and tip him for his assistance. Come on, Sam, take the tip. Many believe that Sam is a guardian spirit and remains at the hotel to continue his duties and look out for guests. Others believe he's still there because of unfinished business. Some unresolved matters keep him attached to the hotel. Either way, the frequency of sightings and experiences involving Sam's spirit seem to be pretty consistent. He appears without any noticeable increase or decrease during specific seasons or certain dates. And encounters involving Sam the Bellman are always positive. And thus, Sam has become an unforgettable character at the Banff Springs Hotel. I also find it so fascinating that Sam's ghost is supposedly able to open doors. That's incredible. I so want to visit this hotel and I so want to see Sam the Bellman. Thanks so much for tuning in for today's episode. Halloween is quickly approaching and you know I got you covered. I have some very spooky stuff coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.